0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast.
1: It's just so much fun. It's fun to play every night and play for the fans in front of the fans every city we go to, how we're received, and I kind of like when we're not received really well, but Early in the season, there's a lot of information coming in and people trying to help and doing everything, but I feel like early in the year I wasn't necessarily able to really translate it into a big league game, so I've kind of been pretty pleased with the improvements I've been able to make and kind of translating them into the game during the season. In a lot of ways, the name of the game in baseball is to take the easiest swing you can and get it to produce the hardest results. And for me, as the season's gone forward, Sean Casey's helped me a lot with just trying to take the smoothest, most efficient, and low effort swing and see how hard I could hit it doing that. He's one of the best people, regardless of teammate, whatever, but one of the best guys I've ever been around and the way he's taken me in and He's showing me the ropes he doesn't even really do it justice. Just the way he goes out of his way every single day to make sure I'm doing what I need to do, I am where I need to be. I mean, every step of the way. It's like these guys aren't wrong. Hello,
2: hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. We have a full house right now because joining me across the table we have our editor in chief, Al Siri. Hello, how you doing? And sitting next to me, we have our executive editor Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's up? I apologize because I have no voice. But still I'm trying to work on getting that back, but you're all stuck listening to me, anyhow. Anyhow, we have a cool episode. We have a great interview with Anthony Volpe, which I think we are going to be excited to hear. And then, guys, I think we should go back and talk a little bit about Al, a story you did earlier this year on Ron Bloomberg. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. It, it was. Uh Truly a labor of
3: love to put that story together and uh, one that I'll always be proud of. So can't wait to talk about it.
2: So we'll definitely get into that. But first, here is Anthony Volpe. Joining me right now on the New York Yankees official podcast, we have Anthony Volpe. Anthony, how you doing?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. So if we go back to April, to the emotion on your face uh, in that moment, you know the moment. And yet, taking the field like that, you've done that 130 more times since then. Does it feel normal yet when you walk onto the field here?
1: I don't know if the feeling necessarily feels normal of being where I am. I don't think that really is set in. But I think just the feeling of going out and competing and feeling like maybe I'm part of the team and brought in by my teammates and just looking to my left and right and seeing guys that I looked up to and was huge fans of. But I think the feeling of that shifting from maybe feeling a little uncomfortable with that to them just being my teammates it definitely felt a lot more normal. Because that's the thing, that,
2: that it must be so crazy. I mean, you know who Aaron Judge is in the city of New York. I mean, he's the guy who, you know, maybe you're on second base when he's up to the plate, you know? Garrett Cole is the guy who's on the mound when you're playing shortstop. I, that's surreal.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of maybe what feels more normal now, mm-hmm. or even just, like, saying that to friends and family are like, Saying who I hit with for the day or who I feel the ground balls with, I just say it maybe even casually, and they just like take a step back and like are kind of amazed or or, or anything. It's your coworker Aaron Judge,
2: <laughs> five months in. What's the best part about the big leagues?
1: Everything about it. Just um, it's just so much fun. It, it's fun to play every night and play for the fans in front of the fans. Every city we go to, how we're received and. I kind of like when we're not received really well, but <laughs> yeah, I just say just that's what takes it to the next level is just the fans.
2: Do you ever watch the Little League World Series?
1: Yeah, growing so up, I did.
2: I used to when I used to go there for work, and I was talking to a coworker once who played youth sports at a higher level than I did. And I was always saying to him, you know, if you go to that championship game, it's USA versus whoever the world championship is and half the stadium from the whole stadium is chanting USA, USA. And I was kind of like, these are 12 year old kids. Why are you like making this a xenophobic thing chanting about the country? And he's like, nah, they love it. I promise you they love it. I, I guess that's what you're saying. I mean, it's fun not to be the hero of the uh, room, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and And then I think just playing for the Yankees and realizing I feel like almost every place we went to when they do like the take me out to the ball game, they go root for the Yankees or even when we're on the road, stuff like that. So that part works too.
2: If you look at your five months, six months, whatever, is there one part of your game that you feel the most pleased with the way it has presented itself with even the way it's developed over this season?
1: Yeah, I think obviously over the course of the season, you're going to have ups and downs. And I think, especially when you get off to, not to start you wanted to there's a lot of room for improvement I think but I just think the way that the team is t- taking me in and I feel like earlier in the season there's a lot of information coming in and people trying to help and doing everything so it's one thing to try and take it in and really work on it before the game like this time of day but I feel like early in the year I wasn't necessarily able to really translate it into a big league game or the stuff I'm working on st- the little things I'm picking up the video I'm watching, different stuff like that. So I've kind of been pretty pleased with the improvements I've been able to make and kind of translating them into the game during the season because over the course of the season, it definitely is hard to still work on stuff and be able to compete at 7 o'clock every day.
2: I can't take my eyes off you, and I think pitchers say the same thing, when you're on the base paths, just the manic energy you have there. How are you? And I know this is probably a million times more complicated than – Anything you can say in a one minute answer, or even will say. You obviously have to be completely in control of your body as you're hopping around, as you are stepping back and forth, and every, you know, you, otherwise a pitcher would just be able to catch you on the wrong foot every time. How do you maintain balance, composure, and your mental sense of where you are at any moment when you're jumping around like that?
1: Um, I think a lot of credit goes to, um, Matt Tellerico, who's like our base running, coach, yep. base running coordinator, ultra, minor leagues, and then Ch- Chappie, our infield and base running coach up here. Uh, we just work on it. Every single day, we're walking out our leads. We're diving back in the bases in the morning, spring training, stuff like that. And then during the season, we feel like we put a lot of work into the technique. And then just like the same way hitting, same way defense, we do like scouting reports on the pitchers and watch videos. And we try and... Look for openings that you lower the risk and increase the ability to get to second base and less reward.
2: There are times you have two feet in the air, and I'm like, he he knows how to get back to the base, and I don't exactly know how, but he knows how to get back to the base, and it's fascinating to me. You look at you know the other side of a game. Uh, you look at a guy like Judge. It's very easy to see where Aaron Judge's power comes from, where Giancarlo Stanton's power comes from. Respectfully, you're not their size. If you connect and put it over the fence. Do you think that is a testament to a perfectly efficient swing in your part, and not just brute force, or am I underestimating your strength? I, I don't know. I, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's harder to understand sometimes how you are a 2020 shortstop in a sense, which we haven't seen from a rookie ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, no one's judging big G size, but no. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of guys in the league that are even smaller than than me in a lot of ways that put up a lot bigger numbers across the board than me but yeah I feel like in a lot of ways the name of the game in baseball is to take the easiest swing you can and get it to produce the hardest results and for me as kind of we talked about like as the season's gone forward case Sean Casey's helped me a lot with just trying to take the smoothest most efficient and low effort swing and see how hard I could hit it doing that and for me and I feel like when you talk to even our bigger guys and you watch them take VP, stuff like that, no one's trying to hit home runs or crush the ball or do anything like that. You're trying to get ready for the game. And I think having that approach, doing certain things throughout the day to get ready for the pitcher you're p- facing and stuff like that, I feel like helps a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you know this stuff, but like your average exit velocity right now is 140th in MLB. It's, your max exit velocity is 204th. But your sweet spot percentage is 77th percentile. I mean, obviously you know, that's the name of it, right? You're just trying to put good contact on the ball and because you've been doing this all your life and you're pretty good at it, sometimes it goes over the wall, is that it?
1: Ideally, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've never never gone up to the plate trying to hit a home run or trying to hit it as hard as I humanly possibly can, but it's it's definitely nice when you feel like you have the sound approach, good approach, and then you're just trying to put the barrel on the ball and then when you start seeing those go over the fence, it's obviously like the cherry on top.
2: You know, it's impossible to tell right now what next year is going to hold for him, what the rest of your career is going to hold for you, whatever. Do you imagine, as you sit here right now, the story of your career someday being told, the role that Isaiah kiner falefa will play in how you got to be who you are as a major leaguer?
1: hundred percent. He's one of the best people, regardless of teammate, whatever, but one of the best guys I've ever been around. And the way he's taken me in and, Showing me the showing me the ropes doesn't even really do it justice. Just the way he goes out of his way every single day to make sure I'm doing what I need to do, I am where I need to be. It's just the littlest things that it's hard for me to even just off the top of my head say because it feels like he's just he's like my bigger brother on the club in the clubhouse. We're locker mates on the road. We uh, sit next to each other on the plane. He he. Uh, I mean, every step of the way, he it's like he's got his arm around me
2: there was this, this moment that a little behind the scenes here most people wouldn't know during the team photo a few weeks ago you know we're trying to move everyone to the exact spot and there was a little opening right in front of you and i made the mistake of saying hey Isaiah can you move down right there and he looks at me he's like no <laughs> he puts his arm around and points to you and he's, his point was like no you know we're in this together we stand next to each other and i thought that that's you know that's got to be pretty uh uh when you look back at that picture a few years from now i know he will be happy and i'm sure you'll be happy to see him standing next to you right
1: oh definitely i feel like that's that's just how it's been, and we died when he said that to you, but um, <laughs> I felt
2: so bad, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, you know similarly, over the last few weeks here, you've had some of your buddies uh from the minor league days coming up. What's it like <laughs> for you to get to welcome them to the majors in a sense? like, oh, let me show you let me, let me show you around in this spot here to Yankee Stadium,
1: yeah, I don't know if I'm as equipped or <laughs> as a lot of guys to do that, but it's just it's amazing to obviously we kind of talked about earlier how it felt for me to experience everything. So um, in a way I kind of get to live through them and I know the emotions that they're experiencing and they're going through and kind of the whirlwind of it all. And in a way it gives you time to reflect on when you got to go through it yourself just because they'll ask you a little question, like how I felt or how, how I reacted or how I experienced everything. So I just couldn't be more happy for all of them.
2: And I mean, like, look, I mean, you can downplay it if you want. Talking to Aaron Boone, he says that he does. He thinks it does have an impact, that you are a friendly face to them, a familiar face, a guy who just recently lived this. I mean, you know, look, because because you, you know also when you're a top prospect, whether you're Anthony Volpe or Jason Dominguez or Aaron Judge, you're like this mystical being in some sense. You're written about as though you're not real, but you're going to come here and you're going to save everything, right? How do you think that you were able to deal with that so well?
1: Um, well, thanks. But, um, <laughs> but you did.
2: You, succeed. you You obviously earned your spot here. You didn't fade by in spring training this year when you were going for it, obviously. So.
1: Yeah, for me, it was just an opportunity I always wanted and worked for and dreamed of. So all the outside, it just felt like such an amazing opportunity. I just wanted to take advantage of it and... Like like we've been talking about, there's been so many great guys in that clubhouse that have helped me along and through the ups and downs have kept me going. And just the main thing since opening day was just trying to help the team win. And obviously, it's been a tough season, but um, I feel like that mindset and that approaching every day that way, just doing whatever you can in the littlest way to just try to impact the game and help the team win, it definitely helped.
2: As you were... Going through last year, as you were kind of getting close, let's say, how much comfort did you take from being at home, being around family, you know, being able to like have your teammates in your family's house in a sense? Because sometimes I look at it and I I know nothing's apples to apples, but you look at Jason Dominguez as a young kid in a totally different country, you know, learning English, everything like that, you know, you're eating your parents' food. (laughs) No one's rise here is easy, but how much comfort did you take
1: from that? Yeah, I think my whole minor league and <laughs> and so far my major league career has been very unique and it it was amazing. I feel like it wasn't like talking to some guys that are maybe even in my position that I was in last year now. And I kinda you kinda get the sense that they're not really living in the present, but I feel like being in that unique situation and set up, it was just so much fun. So to not want to enjoy that and live in the moment and Experience everything. Like I mean, I had never been home for a summer since before I was in middle school, <laughs> and I was home playing 15 minutes away. My family got to go to all the games. Friends got to go to all the games and hang out. On we had Sunday day games, Monday off days, and we do stuff that I never got to do. Pretty much for middle school, high school, everything. So it was a lot of fun, and I felt like it. It just it helped in everything. I I never really wanted to not be where I was. Yeah. Obviously you're working to achieve the bigger goal and the higher goal, but all the negative outside noise never really got in.
2: That's amazing. I mean it's obviously it's lucky too. How did struggling this year impact you? How did both on a team level and also personal level at times, how did what were you able to learn from going through very visible struggles in a sense?
1: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways like when you're having success it's easy it's easy to everyone's in a good mood when everyone's doing well and but I think in a lot of ways you kind of see what guys are made of in a way when you face adversity and you have to be resilient you really see who's gonna maybe fold or who's gonna have a bad attitude and stuff like that so I just think as a team obviously we're all frustrated we all work really hard and we all had high expectations of ourselves and there's a standards, the standard here and as it should be. So I I feel like the fact that we recognize that we're frustrated and we got to be better and we got to perform and we got to win a lot more games. But at the same time, it wasn't toxic. It wasn't everyone still knows that we can improve. Yeah,
2: I'll leave you here with this Um, Aaron judge. He's always very consistent about saying, you know, if you don't win the World Series, it's a failure. And different people can feel different ways about that. I'm not going to put you on the spot about that question specifically. What I will ask you, putting on your Iron Judge hat for a second here. If the 2024 Yankees win the World Series on account of partly a lot of the things that you were able to learn this year, a lot of the experience that some of these young kids were able to get this year, and some of, you know, better luck, certainly better injury luck for a lot of the players here. But if if things, if you were able to take that jump, how much value is there then to even a disappointing 2023, if you are able to gain a lot from it?
1: Definitely a good good question. I feel like everything you do, every single day, you're learning from, and like I said, through every experience I've done this this year, I felt like I've become a way better player, person, professional, through everything, so, I mean, we feel, we still feel like we want to do something special down the stretch here. is not over, you're right, I I apologize for saying that, but go on. But, um, yeah, we we feel like we got a lot of really, a lot of good stuff in the clubhouse, and we just want to keep building off that, and and like you said, it's, it's World Series or, or nothing here. So that's what we're all striving for.
2: Well, Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, look forward to seeing what's next, man.
1: Thank you. Hi, this is Everson Pereira. You are listening to the New York Yankees official podcast.
3: Hi, this is Garrett Cole. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast.
2: Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Obviously, look, Nate, Al, we kind of have been teasing a little bit over the course of the last few months that, hey, you never know. Maybe it's going to all turn out great. Maybe that run is going to happen. And while I will continue to say, and I think there's a lot of good to be said about the team playing solid baseball down the stretch here, obviously, there will not be postseason baseball for the Yankees this year. And that's, you know, <laughs> no, you don't need to sugarcoat it. I mean, it is what it is. I, I do think, though one of our jobs and one of our joys, I think, is to look at some positives and, and to find some reasons to be optimistic as you go into the offseason here. And certainly, I think if you're a Yankees fan right now, a full year of watching Anthony Volpe play, warts and all, it, it is reason to be excited about what the future holds for this kid. I agree.
3: I mean, we we've been so excited about him in the years leading up to this one, as he kind of made I don't know if it was a meteoric rise through the minors, but a quick, it's you quick, know, yeah. quick ascent, especially at the end there when he, you know, was only in AAA for 20 days or something like that. Got here and, you know, you never know what you're going to get when the player is that young and now at the high, playing at the highest level against the best players in the world. Your point, you know, well taken, John. You know, there were some shortcomings. He didn't hit 300 or anything like that, but hit for some serious power. And I think went through really what what is, you know, everybody's going to have growing pains as a rookie, whether it was fielding, whether it was striking out a little bit too much. But to get that season under his belt and still be really productive, I think just makes you more excited for what could be a really, really great year two and three and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, it was really fun to watch him play this year. You know, he he uh, seized the opportunity in spring training and, and took the job. And I'm glad that they let him kind of work through things and because uh, it was it was fun to watch and he certainly uh, he did a lot of great things and um, I can't wait to you know it, the one thing that we know about uh, Anthony Volpe from the stories that you've written about him Al is that he's the type of guy who really uh, likes to attack his weaknesses so I'm, I'm sure that he's going to spend this off season honing his skills even further and uh, I, I have really high hopes for him next year.
2: And the reality is, obviously, if you look at his year, and Aaron Boone actually pointed this out a little bit recently, for most rookies, their first full year in the major leagues is going to be the most games they play in their life up to that point. Yeah. You know, you don't play 162 games at any point in your life until you're in the major leagues, and I think there's no doubt that there's some fatigue involved. And frankly, I hope that, however, I don't know what kind of methods they have in place to tie this guy down and not let him in a weight room for a little bit. I hope they do give him make sure that he takes some time, actually, to chill and and because this has been a long year but i think nate and out of your points the highs were really high and there was a lot of excitement there and and and, you know to go to the interview that you just listened to he's an interesting guy to talk to he he man it's a guy who's kind of been learning a lot at the foot of aaron judge in a sense because it's it's tough to get too much real sense of exactly what he's thinking in any moment he's really good at that But you could talk about a four-home run game if he'd hit one, and he would talk about the things he did wrong that day, and it's not the easiest way to mine great material out of somebody. But you can also still hear it as a guy who cares so much and a guy who is so motivated to win in New York City.
3: I think when you think about his, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but when when you discuss his ascent, I think a big reason he was able to do that is because of how much he cares. And, and, you know, kind of the line that I had gotten from some of the people I'd interviewed in the past, doing stories with him, Nathan, like you alluded to when he was in the minors, was the way that he took control of his career. And there were bumps in the road, whether it was getting mono at some point, I think during his first season, having to be shut down, dealing with the, you know, with the pandemic season where there, were no, there was no minor league baseball, dealing with all this stuff. But the way that he took control of his career, it not only impressed me, but it always made me feel like I was covering someone who was unique, who was different from other players that I had been around than I had covered, because it was a really special approach and and just kind of goes back to how much he wants it and how much he cared. And the other point that I, I wanted to make too, that when you look at what he did this year, it's truly house money. And what I mean by that is if he had been in AAA this whole year, because he had only been in A, 21 games or something before that, or 14 games prior to that, no one would have said a peep. Everybody would have been like, okay, that's fine. If you look at the trajectory of other great players, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, guys like that in the past, or even ones that are more recent, this next year would be essentially the time that they'd be coming up using Anthony Volpe's age and level of experience. So the fact that he was up, anything he did,
0: to me, is a bonus towards the future. Yeah, he, he got a lot of great experience this year and you know, the other thing we know about Anthony is, you know, he's always been a winner and a, and a driver of success on the teams that he's been on, so I mean, I, I fully, ex- fully expect to, to see the same thing here in the Bronx you know, sooner rather than later.
2: You've mentioned about Volpe, but I think you can say the same thing about so much this year. You know, we, we can talk, sadly, or in the past tense at this point, you know, I mean, Obviously, there's a couple of games left to play as you're listening to this, but but the season's ending on mm. Sunday. Yeah. But did all the kids come up and hit the cover off the ball? Not really. But they banked experience. They banked days. They mm. learned what the major leagues are. They get to show up at spring training next year as guys with major league service time. Yeah. And that that means a lot. You know, they know more than they would have. And I think that one of the crucial things and you know, I, I mentioned this in the introduction to the feature that's running off this interview in our October issue. Aaron Boone did not take that lightly. I mean, he knew that these young players were coming up, and one thing that they could bank on was looking across that room and seeing Anthony Volpe there, and a guy who, everything that they were going through, everything that they were struggling with, he had been going through that the entire year. And I think that was meaningful when Aaron Judge was coming up to have players that he could look at. You know, Gary Sanchez was up before Aaron Judge. He could look at Gary Sanchez and see some stuff like that. And it's really helpful for a guy that when you've been going up through the minors with that guy for so long to know that when you get to the majors, it's a friendly face there, because it's hard to make that adjustment. And when you look at these kids, who knows if all of them are going to be here next year, who knows what's going to be happening. But when they got here, they were able to have that comfort uh, in some cases of literally the guy they had lived with his family. Mm-hmm. They had lived with Volpe's family, some of them yeah. during double a yeah. last year. So I have no doubt that made, played a big role.
3: Nowhere is that more important. Than in the case of Austin Wells, who not only has to you know come up and hit at the major league level, but also essentially manage the team on the field uh, you know, as a catcher. And getting a month or a month and a half to do that, I think it's going to pay dividends. And he's one of those pieces that could make this team vastly improved, whether it's next year, whether it's the year after. We didn't make the postseason as an organization. Of course, it's disappointing. It's the first time in a while, and one of only very few times. I, I I wrote in in my column in the October issue in the twenty years that I've been here, or the twenty seasons I've been here. But you know, with the people that are in place, and I mean that in terms of Brian Cashman, and of course our ownership, but also all of these really promising young players. Um, as well as, by the way, maybe the best pitcher and the best hitter in the sport as well, you have that foundation to build off of, and now you start to get better. It doesn't mean we win the World Series next year, or it does mean that, I don't know, but you start moving forward and you start moving upward now.
2: But I'll tell you, maybe you don't look at MVPs on a team that doesn't make the playoff. Maybe you don't like talk about it in this way. If we're sitting around a room together planning the 2024 or 2025 World Series commemorative edition for the New York Yankees. Look, I have no way of knowing if Isaiah Kindervalefa or Kyle Gashioka, either one of them, is going to be on the team, but they will have played a huge role in that championship based on what they did for Anthony Volpe and Austin Wells this year. Those are two veterans who absolutely just acknowledged that they were going to stand aside and let these kids learn the ropes. In what, in my opinion, I guess I'll just—you can't look at it as a lost season if they get that. Education and they get that experience. And, you know, Anthony and I talked a little bit about it at the end. You know, if you can learn something from it, you know, does that change if it's actually a failure, to use Aaron Judge's words? And different people are going to feel different things. I'm not going to tell anyone, I'm not going to fight this anymore with anyone about what is or is not a failure. But there's no question that any success that this organization has with this group moving forward will have been spurred in a lot of ways by the things that these kids learned this year.
3: We've talked about it before. I never look at it as a failure, based on what you said. It's a process, and unfortunately, it's a longer process than you know you would want. But it's still a process, and
0: you're moving towards the ultimate goal. I'm just super impressed by Isaiah Kainer-Falefa in particular, and the way he's handled everything this year. I think it's just so classy, and it's such a you know such a hard thing to. You put yourself in his shoes you know if i came into work uh on monday and i was like hey nate i want you to meet this new kid um you know i want you to teach him everything you know because uh we want him to take your job i'd be like wow that's that's a tough situation for me <laughs> like you know i guess i'll do my best here but uh <laughs> that's really uncomfortable and kind of awkward but i mean you know these guys are professionals and they they you know see the bigger picture and uh I don't think everybody could handle it as well as Isaiah Connor falefa did this year and Anthony Volpe has certainly benefited from it without question.
3: I never thought you know, we're all, all three of us are parents and have kids that play sports and whatever. I never thought that I would talk to my son as much about IKF as I ended up doing this year. And it had nothing to do with his swing, which is good. Nothing like that, but just how to had a, had a handle a difficult situation what a you know he's like a textbook in how to go about your business the right way and it, like you said Nathan adver- uh, you know in through adversity and just a special guy and I was proud that we had him on the cover of Yankees magazine as well earlier this year
2: and I have to say I mean you read you read a lot of quotes from a lot of different baseball players and sometimes I mean you the, the three of us in here we can certainly tell you Sometimes maybe those words aren't said in exactly the way that they come off on print. Sometimes a, a pretty frustrated comment you can tell someone's making looks a little sunnier uh, when, it, when it's written in a different context. Isaiah Canofre-Lefa kind was genuine. The, you know, because, Nate, I'll push back on you a little bit here. I'm not sure that it's right to say he saw the bigger picture, because I actually don't think the bigger picture, I don't think his career necessarily benefits <laughs> based on some of the choices he made this year to absolutely become a mentor and coach and brother, in a sense to Anthony Volpe, I think he just did it because that's the kind of guy he is, like well,
0: and I think he was trying to make the Yankees as good as they could possibly be, and that's mm-hmm. you for know, sure yeah, I
2: know.
1: you're
2: you're right about that for sure it, it, it just it was really impressive, I thought, and really interesting, and again, there are layers, maybe to personalities and to humans. That maybe are a little harder to see sometimes when you're, you know, racing towards the World Series or something like that. And, you know, I think that for better or worse, and I'm not saying this is comforting to anybody, but, you know, we were certainly able to see a lot more people in a lot more difficult situations. And we saw a lot of them really rise to the top in a lot of ways that, again, don't change the record, but, you know, they might change next year's record. Absolutely. Nate, obviously, the Anthony Volpe Q&A, it appears in our October issue. Before we get back to the Ron Bloomberg story we were talking about, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what is in the October issue, which, uh, you know, we're we're
0: printing this week. Yeah, it's uh, fresh uh, at the forefront of our brains, having worked on it uh, (laughs) as, as much as we did this week. So really excited about our October, our final issue of this season. Subscribers can expect a really special cover featuring Four of the members of the 1998 Yankees, so many of whom were here on Old Timers Day uh, on September 9th, and we have tons of coverage of that day. It was really just, we, we talked about it, uh, I think, last week on the podcast, John, just what a special day that was here at Yankee Stadium. So uh, we have a lot of words and pictures from uh, the players who were involved uh, in all that, which I think a lot of our readers are really going to enjoy. Um, the Minor League Report is a feature on Jason Dominguez that uh, Brianna McKay wrote. She did a really great job on. Uh, I know readers will be excited uh, to learn more about Jason, even though it's uh, a, you know obviously disappointing that we're going to have to wait till probably uh, about halfway through next year before we see him again. But um, you know what a great story he's been, and uh, it was just such a a whirlwind couple of weeks there for him. Getting called up to Triple A and then called up to the majors, and then he goes down with the injury. Um Just a, a lot was happening, so that 's a great story and just a, a lot of good stuff in there. What else do we got? What did you do, John? You got the I got volpe uh, that 's right volpe's in there, and then Al wrote a very insightful preview of the college football game that will be here at Yankee Stadium next month. Marking the 100th anniversary of the first college football game at Yankee Stadium, played back in October of 1923. Anything else happened in 1923 that I should remember? Oh, there was a lot going on in the Bronx that year. Uh, a fine year. Uh, with the first college football game after the Yankees won the World Series that year it was between Syracuse and Pitt. It was a 3 nothing game, and hopefully the rematch 100 years later will feature a little bit more scoring than that it, one It did. quite literally almost has to. I, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's, it's almost <laughs> impossible to imagine a way that it would
0: not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tons of cool stuff, and as we do every October, the pullout poster is the team photo from this year, so I think our subscribers will be very pleased.
3: I'll just add, you know, I'm excited about the minor league report. Obviously, we, no one in this room knows when we're going to see Jason Dominguez back on the field. I know we're all hopeful that it'll be next year, not too long into next year. While we don't know when it'll be, it's nice that our readers will have an opportunity to learn quite a bit about him in the meantime, and I think that will only heighten the anticipation and expectations for what's still, in my opinion, going to be a special career whenever it gets let's say relaunched.
2: He so. certainly gave us every reason to believe in him in the Short time he was up here in the major leagues, but that was that was something. That was, that was something to watch. You know, it just gets you excited for around the All Star break. You assume next year when we get to watch more of it. But, but, kind of the story of the Yankee season in a sense. You know, a lot of excitement, a lot of young promise, and then uh, injuries uh, made everyone sad. But yeah. what can you do? <laughs> Speaking of a guy who is very rarely sad, if ever sad, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting real good at this. Yeah, um, Ron Bloomberg Al... You've had a lot of chances to talk to him. I've certainly had a lot of chances to talk to him. Nate, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to him or just overheard him on our phones, but nobody is ever in a better mood than Ron Bloomberg. And Al, you went down there because this was the 50th anniversary this year of him becoming the first designated hitter in baseball history, which seems quaint now that both leagues have the designated hitter and we never even think about it anymore, but it was pretty novel at the time. Al, I imagine it was a difficult and trying and really just you know trying to get some Get him to say anything. Get him to just talk. I imagine it was really hard for you, huh?
3: Yeah, the hard part was the transcribing because <laughs> it you know, it took a while. Yeah, he's a special person and somebody who um, has always been just so warm and kind and and, and just wonderful to be around. I've, I've obviously had the, the privilege of knowing him for a good part of the 20 years I've been here and have become friends with him. And we talked for a long time about me going down to Atlanta to do a story with them. And one thing or another happened, things like a you know, pandemic and weird things like that got in the way. But you know what? It was worth the wait for two reasons. One, we were able to do it in, in a year that, you know, baseball and, and, and everybody was celebrating the 50th anniversary of, of Ron being the first DH. And also cause you know, it was just the right time. I think um, I spent, uh, Two days with him, one at his house, and, you know, what was neat was him, I'd read a lot of stories about, you know, the accounts of that first game and how that whole thing came out about with him being the first DH, but there were a lot of things that he gave me, at least I think, that I'd never read anywhere else, and that was really special, and just his attitude back in 73 about it, and literally the the way that it kind of accidentally happened, um and put him in a in a position where he's a historical part of baseball um is great cuz he deserves every good thing that comes his way
0: his recollection of that first game and the details surrounding it and leading up to it and why he wasn't in the field why he
2: all yeah, that stuff yeah
0: i mean amazing 50 years it's like wow i can barely remember what i did yesterday Yeah. but i mean you can barely remember what features were in the october <laughs> issue <laughs> um <laughs> uh, just, just incredible. And I, I, the one that stuck out to me was like after his first at bat, figuring out what to do with himself Then yeah. I thought that yeah. was like the funniest story because I he was the first it. person who ever really had to think about yeah. it. Yeah, but
2: 50 years later, I think half of them still haven't figured out what to do. You talk <laughs> yeah. to
0: guys DH
2: and they're like, oh, I don't like, I don't know what to do in <laughs> between at bats. And I love the, the difference in
3: 50 years as, you know, now they don't know what to do. So they're you know, they're, they're doing some type of exercise or weightlifting or something. And, you know, his thing was, you know, eating like Polish sausages or something (laughs) in the Fenway clubhouse. And I also loved, you know, he, he, we, we strive so much to paint the scenery around, you know, around a scene, I guess. He did it for me where Mm -hmm. he literally talked about going from the dugout back to the clubhouse in Fenway, the visiting clubhouse in Fenway, where you literally had to walk over a plank that underneath it had like stagnant water and, you know, we've all been to Fenway park and experienced, you know, how old the stadium is now. Well, I guess it was old then. And, and I say that respectfully because I love Fenway park. And, um, but you know, I think they've done a lot more cool.
2: work on Fenway park in the last 50 years than they did in the f- previous 50 yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. But
3: it it was just neat to, to kind of see that in my mind as he was saying it. And, um, and it's, it's pretty neat. I had, a, you know, I'd written the, the story about the the 50th anniversary of George Steinbrenner purchasing the team. So I kind of earlier this year, so I had so much of that like still in my mind. And when I kind of looked back at statistically at that, at bat, I realized that he drove in the first run in, you know, the George Steinbrenner era. And I'm like, man, I wonder if he knows that there's no way. And sure enough, I told him and he was like, Nope. Nobody's ever said that. But now I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna brag about it or use it, so it's really neat. Not not
0: quite as as well, I mean it's a good one, but Nah, not quite. Not quite. I get it. I get it. It was just a fun little (laughs) anecdote there,
3: you know, as we went along the conversation.
2: But I think that's kind of a good way to, if you will, close our regular season, our first regular season of the New York Yankees official podcast here, because one thing that I love about what we get to do, both In the magazine and in these discussions about these stories is we take a sport that ever more now gets broken down into you know almost context-free moments where it's just this guy is this and this guy is this and this guy did this so you know to use two examples from stories that i've worked on or spoken about recently you know thurman munson is the catcher who died in the plane crash and bucky dent hit the home run in the one game playoff and I think that when you look to what we try to do with our coverage here, it's to build context on all of these things and to figure out the other stories, the other things that are left out there in a sense. You know, Thurman Munson, yes, he was the baseball player who died in a plane crash. He was also, you know, an MVP. He was also just in a, probably a Hall of Famer, or should be a Hall of Famer in a lot of ways and, and might someday be. You know, Bucky Dent, he hit the home run in the one game playoff. Like, then he was World Series MVP, you, you know, and Ron Bloomberg. I think all of us forever knew him as the first designated hitter. He was also a number one pick. He was also yeah, <laughs> a and, and great I, baseball player.
3: I'm glad you brought that up in the conversation
2: because a big goal
3: that I had with this story, not just because of the, the love that I have for Ron as a friend, which is absolutely um, significant. He's, you know, obviously means a lot to me, but. Aside from that, the goal going down there was not just to write about him becoming the first DH, exactly to your point. It's to talk about the life that this guy has led, which is pretty significant. And I think the, the, when you peel back some of those layers, there were two things that really stood out. And one is he grew up in the South, um, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and that was not very much of a welcoming place. Uh, he grew up. Um, in a in a household with strong Jewish faith, again, in Atlanta, he talks about being lucky to have never been um the tar- the direct target of any type of anti Semitic violent acts or things like that and, and actually talks about that the reason a big reason for that was because of his incredible ability to
2: play sports. He's ha- half the sp- High school teammates, he said, were in the clan. They I were, mean, like, yeah. We're not like just making assumptions here. No, this no, is no. him saying it. Yeah,
3: him saying it, and and that a guy who lived, whatever he said, three houses down or four houses down, was like a clan leader. It, it, it's amazing that he came out of that unscathed, and thankfully for him and for his family, but what was really heartwarming about it, and I, I guess I never really thought about it to this extent, was then he gets drafted by the Yankees, and he comes to New York, and it's his dream to play here. And he is able to literally be embraced and it's a love affair for him, for you know, for fans who, you know, maybe didn't have a, a Jewish ball player that was as great as him that they could wrap their arms around as well. And it was just awesome. I mean, it was awesome. It was amazing. And he got to to experience every part of that. And that was where that kind of came about in the conversation was You know, this is a guy who Bear Bryant wanted to play football at Alabama, and John Wooden wanted to play basketball at UCLA, and he was like, oh, no,
2: there was no way I wasn't coming to New York City. That was my dream. It was heartwarming. Sandy Koufax is an amazing, amazing pitcher. Let's not kid ourselves here. Mm -mm. Obviously, a Hall of Famer, short career, whatever. But the reason that Sandy Koufax is every Jewish kid's favorite baseball player growing up is not because, you know of what he did in those six incredible years. He's a Jewish kid from Brooklyn who their Jewish dads from Brooklyn or Queens or whatever grew up idolizing. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, it's not a small thing for for both him to get to experience that of coming to New York and also for a lot of New York fans. who That's not the archetype of my people, if you will. Yeah, right, (laughs) right.
3: And the only thing I would say, you know, that, that, you know, Sandy Koufax, look, there's no taking away the amazing, amazing career. I I always... uh, Brag to you that, you know, uh, as unprofessional as it sounds, I did have him sign a baseball and it's amazing <laughs> and incredible and, you know, uh, never look, never walk past it without, you know, beaming. But, you know, he was adored by baseball fans all over. But Ron Blueberg played for the Yankees. So for Yankees fans mm-hmm. of Jewish faith, this was yeah. the guy that played at Yankee Stadium and played for the Yankees and wore the pinstripe. So I think he had an even more special niche for the Bronx and for the Yankees fans.
0: Well, Al, I would say that you did an amazing job of describing what it was like to be a Yankee back then in the mid 70s, but uh, it was kind of more Ron describing. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> fair enough. But uh, no, he did. He some did the some of he these goes. are easier than others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> no, it, honestly, the, the story is great, and the the pictures that accompany it are great, too. It's like uh, the perfect mix, I think, of, of shots from back then with. Uh, more recent stuff from your trip down there this year yeah
3: jim Petrozello was with me on the trip and and let's certainly give a shout out to him beautiful photos that he took of ron at his house uh you're right nate really really adds a, a tremendous amount to the story
2: well the story is peach of a guy it is the final feature we'll discuss here in our september issue obviously while this is our last episode of the regular season nate al Very proud of what this first season so far for the New York Yankees official podcast has done. We have been working a lot over the last few weeks to make sure that we do not need to take a break during this offseason. We have a lot of great interviews coming your way with players who, you know, we're going to look forward to what they have to do in 2024, certainly with some alumni, some other people. We're going to do some really cool stuff this offseason, so stick with us. But in the meantime, that story is Peach of a Guy. I think we've established Ron Bloomberg, certainly a peach of a guy. And uh, Al, great job. Thank you, Nate. Great talking. We will speak to everyone in two weeks. Cheers, guys. Hi, this is Michael King. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to
0: subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice and tell your friends.
2: The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by
1: following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks!